and welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of Sprott Gold Talk Radio. I'm your host, Ed Coyne, Senior Managing Director at Sprott Asset Management. Today we'll be revisiting the topic of uranium by taking a deeper dive into the underlying mining companies themselves. For this, I have asked Tim Rotello of North Shore Indices to join us and talk about all things uranium. Tim, uh, welcome and thank you for joining Sprott Gold Talk Radio. Thanks for so much for having me, Ed. I think it's a great time to be talking uranium again. I would agree, and we're going to dive right into that. But before we do, most of our listeners probably aren't familiar with you unless they're following uranium very closely right now, which we certainly have those investors. Tell us a bit about yourself and, and probably also about North Shore Indices and how that all came about. Yeah, happy to. A little bit of a roundabout path to focusing on uranium. I started my career actually in wealth management and really got interested in hedge fund investing and ultimately went to a fund of funds that was focused on distressed debt and credit investing and event-driven investing and really saw that you know markets were pretty inefficient if you find these little pockets of left-for-dead sectors. And I ended up leaving and starting my own or trying to start my own firm focused on markets that exhibited kind of capital scarcity and higher expected returns and ultimately Fast forward to 2017, after a short stint looking at some cannabis stuff and doing specialty finance and cannabis, had the good fortune of crossing paths with Mike Alkin, who was in the process of developing this you know, really interesting thesis around uranium. And it just reminded me a lot of some of the best distressed investment themes that I saw when I was at the Fund of Funds. This really orphan sector valuations had just been decimated by a multi-year bear market. You know, I ended up partnering with Mike to form an entity called Sachem Cove, which I'm sure many investors are aware of in the uranium space. And then through that, we saw this opportunity really when Global X decided to change the mandate of their uranium fund to try and launch a pure play uranium mining index. And ultimately, I formed North Shore Indices with that purpose in mind. And we, we ended up launching that index in kind of mid-2019, and then the, you know, the fund that tracks the index was launched in late 2019, and the rest is history. I find myself to be a deeply contrarian, value-focused investor, and when Mike's initial thesis was brought to my attention, it just really had all the hallmarks of a tremendous investment opportunity, and thankfully, it's worked out. Well, it certainly has, and the last six to eight months have certainly bared that out, and coming from the gold and gold equity side of the table. This certainly rhymes with what we're doing as a firm. And so we're excited to be part of this, both on the physical side and now coming up on the equity side. You know, I guess the number one question that most investors ask themselves or ask us is really why uranium, but more importantly, why uranium now? And when I say uranium, this is really all things uranium, not just the physical side, but, you know, specifically for today's call, uh, the equity side. You know, what's going on right now that's more interesting or investors should be paying more attention to than maybe hasn't been happening in the last couple of years. Can you walk us through that a bit? So I'll give you two views. I mean, I think if you go back to 2018, the thesis wasn't too dissimilar. There was a very large supply deficit, which was forming. I would say today it has formed and now the market agrees with us that it has formed. So as someone who got involved in the sector in 2017 and 2018, you know, it's been a couple of painful years and then a couple of, you know, great years of, of the market beginning to appreciate it. Globally, the world has come to appreciate that nuclear power is one of the key components to helping to decarbonize our economy. That has been further, I think, illustrated by what's happening in Europe in terms of the rigidity of their energy system, partially because they chose to shut down nuclear power and try and shift to renewables. But I think why invest in the equities today 
if you're a little bit of a momentum investor, this, the story's working. You don't necessarily have to have that long, multi-year period of time where you're waiting for other investors to come and agree. I mean, today's a great example. You know, Cameco has been upgraded three times in the last week. Analysts didn't even really cover Cameco, save for maybe one or two Canadian brokerages, and B of A upgraded them today. You know, the stock's making 11-year highs. So I think the recognition by investors, more investors coming into the sector, it creates this kind of positive feedback loop. And listen, when, when we first got involved, one of the reasons why I thought the ETF and the index were such important components of the thesis was that you really needed incremental generalist investment dollars to start to move the needle for these companies. And I think, again, that's what you're starting to see. But ultimately, the supply deficit is there. The nuclear demand story is there. The thesis has been dramatically de-risked today relative to where we were 2018, where I think it was this remain this very deeply contrarian thesis that nuclear power even mattered to the global uh, electric grid. I think that's, I would not say that's consensus today, but it's beginning to be on the radar of a lot more investors. And so for a retail investor or an RIA who wants to put their client into these types of investments, I think it's a little bit easier to be involved today than it was two, three years ago. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree with that. And, you know, we always talk about it at Sprott, gold's the original alternative investment. When you think about nuclear, it's really the original green investment when you're talking about going carbon neutral and so forth. Obviously, uranium is part of that equation. It's the foundation of that equation. Of course, you have to pull it out of the ground and, and the mining companies are you know, front and center for that. So I, we would agree the opportunity there seems pretty tremendous. And it's interesting if you think about what's going on in the U.S. versus the rest of the world. This is one of those cases where we're probably behind the eight ball a little bit where the rest of the world has adopted this. I mean, look at France, for example, and look at other parts of the world where they've really embraced nuclear, we sort of took a hiatus on it. And I suspect that's going to change in the coming decade. This is something that's quite exciting that we're, we're excited to be part of, you know, again, not just on the physical side, but on the equity side. And let's talk about the equities a little further, because one of the things I think people maybe don't fully understand is really the breakdown of the equity market as far as what would be considered a festival asset within the index? As you created the index, give me some examples of the types of things we'd expect to see in this portfolio, whether it's the physical side or the equity side. You know, what does that look like? When we looked at what was in the marketplace from an index perspective, there was a big disconnect between where the opportunity actually existed and what was available and actually represented in those indexes. So we wanted to create what a traditional investment and manager would own when the cycle began to turn. So it runs the gamut from $15 billion market cap to 40, $50 million market cap companies. So there is a minimum threshold of $40 million today. It's kind of one of the main criteria for inclusion. And then you have at the upper end, you have companies that are the world's global producers, uh, largest producers. I mean, there's really two of those. They're capped at 15%. And one of the reasons why we wanted to cap those large producers is we felt like historically when the uranium cycles go into full bull market mode, the companies that dramatically outperform are not the producers. They're the companies that are near-term producers or exploration companies you know, that have been really left for dead. And so we wanted to make sure that we gave investors a really good cross-section of exposure. Producers are really important companies. And perfect example, Cameco is having a phenomenal year this year. And so we would never want to exclude a company like that. But we also recognize that there are smaller companies or development companies that are going to put 
new mines into production in this cycle that have tremendous upside as they go from cash consumers to cash producers. And there's a handful of those in the market today. And I think there's an, a growing appreciation that to fill the supply deficit, their mines are going to be needed sooner rather than later. And so those companies you know, have a very important role in the index. And then one of the unique things that I wanted to do, and this kind of goes back to my fund of funds days and doing portfolio construction and really thinking about generating a great risk-adjusted return from the index, was at the end of the day, if you're right about the macro thesis that uranium prices need to move up dramatically because the supply deficit is so large and needs to be filled and you need that, you know, the marginal cost of a new mine is $65, $75. For, for you to be right there, the price of physical uranium has to go up. So we always wanted to have a fixed exposure to physical uranium. Physical uranium is much less volatile than the equities. And so it actually provides a volatility dampener in big down markets where hopefully physical will outperform the equities, but then it may underperform the equities on the upside, but not dramatically so as we've seen this year. Physical has done very, very well and actually outperformed many of the equities. So we actually have a, a kind of a bifurcated index. 82.5% is always going to be invested in the miners. And then 17.5% is always going to be in, invested in physical and royalty companies. So that just gives the portfolio a little bit of a ballast in weaker markets. But it actually does not cause us to underperform when the markets really begin to move up strongly. Going back to kind of like hedge fund investing 101, we wanted to create a symmetry through the actual construction of the index. And so we did that in two ways. One is by having these dedicated buckets to physical and miners. Well, we attempted to add further asymmetry by providing additional exposure to the smaller miners and, and the more development stage companies by capping the producers at 15%. And that's really borne out, thankfully. We also try and be very forward thinking about which new companies are coming into the industry. So we take a very fundamental approach to developing our universe rather than a quantitative approach or like one of our peers in the space, they basically look at a consultant's list of, of suppliers to the industry. We look at that list, but it's not the end all be all to us. So we, we also have some discretion in choosing the uh, constituents that go into the universe. And so we think there we can actually add some value. And actually Sprott was a perfect example. We were very early to make sure that Sprott Uranium Trust was included in the index because we knew it, its importance to the thesis, not only as a buyer of physical uranium, but also just the exposure to physical uranium was so important to our index that we fought to have it included when one of our peers chose to exclude it. The ability to be forward-thinking and either remove non-pure play companies like we did in, in the early days and replace them with these smaller cap development and exploration companies, I think is one of the reasons why the performance of the index has been stronger than you know, some of our peers. And it, it seems to me the way you constructed this, you really give investors the opportunity to have a one-stop shop and really cover the waterfront of the uranium opportunity that's out there. You know, you'd mentioned some of the larger producers from a market cap standpoint, certainly still small relative to when you think about companies like Ford Motor Company, it's over $61 billion in market cap through April. You know, McDonald's Hamburger franchise is about $186 billion in market cap. And then Amazon, as we all know, is, is over uh, $1.5 trillion 
and market cap. What is the total size of the opportunity in the uranium sector today relative to those types of names? I've got to believe it's it's pretty small. In the in the early days, just to show you the relative kind of improvement of the sector, you know, in, two years ago the, the sector was sub ten billion dollars of market cap. Dis- oh my gosh. Yeah, despite being ten percent of global electricity. So you know, you just look at that type of disconnect, and to me, that spells opportunity. But even today, it's, say that again. So, that, that's amazing. Yeah, to so, me, what you just said. So, so nuclear power generated roughly ten percent of global electricity, and the market cap, the entire market cap of the sector, was about under ten billion dollars. That's incredible. Yeah. So just a, a complete disconnect, and I think a lot of times, as an investor, you look at that and you just say, "Oh, well, I'm missing something." Well, sometimes you're not, right? Sometimes the market is actually just really misunderstanding what those assets are and, and how vital they are. And I think you know, the, the market is beginning to appreciate just how vital nuclear power is, not only just to today's grid, but to the future grid. But so today, it's, it's, it's about $40 billion. But if you think about where we were in the peak, when arguably fundamentals were not nearly as constructive as they are today. There was no supply deficit the last time. There was not the same type of nuclear power growth, and there was not a decarbonization effort globally, and the market cap was about $150 billion back then. So still meaningful upside just to the growth of the overall market relative to where we were in 2007, 2008. And again, physical prices still haven't made it back to where they were near Fukushima. Despite the fact that we've had an incredibly positive backdrop, there's still a lot of skepticism around nuclear power. I mean, just today, one of the German Green Party members was saying, we don't need nuclear power. Their their gas prices are up thousands of percent, and their economy is running 20% inflation because they're importing gas and now they're burning coal. And this isn't meant to be a political discussion, but, but there's a political element here to, to me, nuclear power is is the rational, pragmatic solution. And for some reason, <laughs> governments want to fight the rational, pragmatic solution and do the kind of hope-induced, hyperbolic solution, despite it not working. I would add one point, just going back to the earlier discussion about why now. I think there's a second benefit today, which is that over the last decade, not only has there been a bear market in uranium, there's been a bear market in all commodities, And that tailwind, I think, scared many investors off. And I think we're beginning to see the early stages of a recovery and an investor interest in commodities broadly. And so when you look at all commodities, and then you think about the energy transition and people wanting to be ESG friendly or green, uranium has a really unique position in that overall opportunity set, in that it kind of solves for both of those issues. It gives you exposure to commodities, but it also gives you exposure to green commodities that have a positive fundamental backdrop. And so I think that's, to me, one of the other big factors that's shifted in favor of uranium today. People are looking for investment opportunities in this space. They weren't two or three years ago. Investors were looking at how positive the fundamentals were two or three years ago, but now you have people just on the search for ways to express a view on nuclear power growth. And that's a a huge sea change in in the investment industry for uh, uranium. I agree that I think that, you know, this is something that from a commodity standpoint, it speaks values, but also from a green energy standpoint, a a modern view on commodities. um, This is sort of at the forefront of that. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the opportunity in uranium and, and uranium mining stocks and so forth. 
you know, in your mind, maybe one or two of the risk. What are some of the things that people should be aware of as they go into this sector? What are some of the things that people should say, okay, I know what I'm owning. I know what I'm investing in, but I also know what I'm getting involved with. What are some of the risks that people should be aware of um, as they go down this path of, of investing in uranium on the physical side as well as on the on the equity side? And we've seen it just in the last couple of months. The single biggest risk is the tail risk of a, a significant nuclear power event. And I think the challenge of being an investor in this sector is it's very hard to understand what that probability actually is. I think it's, it's probably smaller than people think. The other challenge is you have a media that is basically been trained to amplify anything that sounds negative for nuclear. And again, this is not me being a conspiracy theorist. This is, you know, you just look at what happened with this Ukraine nuclear power plant. The second it happened, even though the facts were borne out that this was not a nuclear meltdown, the media latches onto these things. And so that can create a lot of volatility in the sector. So because it's a small commodities uh, sector, it is volatile. And then you have these media amplifications. And, and there's three or four examples just in the last couple of years. When you saw this, the the most recent um, earthquake in Japan, it's, it's not earthquake in Japan. It's earthquake near Fukushima and tsunami warning has been issued. Right, as if we're a foregone conclusion that there's going to be a second Fukushima nuclear event. And so I think that's why uh, position sizing for investors becomes so important. You need to understand the fundamental thesis, and then you need to have conviction in that thesis to be able to stick with the ultimate outcome, which is higher uranium prices on the back of a large supply deficit and growing nuclear demand. Right. So you kind of just have to keep reminding yourself of that and then size it appropriately for your own risk tolerance. You are able to de-risk by owning the physical, not to say that physical uranium prices wouldn't fall just on a knee-jerk reaction around an event, but they'll fall less than the equities. And so having kind of that diversification within the sector and even the diversification of owning the highest quality producers versus owning some of the exciting exploration stories. I, I think there is a very, um, very logical rationale as to why owning a diversified product in this industry makes a lot of sense. One other significant benefit is this is a, a very global industry. So you have exposure to companies on the Australian Stock Exchange, the Canadian Stock Exchange, the New York Stock Exchange, and London. And some of those stocks are fairly thinly traded. And so you can effectively get exposure to all of those markets in a single index. Well, we've seen that as a theme across the board, you know, dealing with all mining stocks. A lot of these companies are relatively small. There's not a lot of float out there. And trying to cherry pick one name is, is, a, huge, uh, is a huge undertaking. And I think having an index in general, particularly in, in a form of an ETF, makes a lot of sense. Uh, well, before we wrap up this podcast, and again, you know, thank you for taking the time to be part of Sprott Gold Talk Radio. This is a great way to educate listeners on a, on a space that maybe they haven't thought about in the past. Are there any last kind of nuggets or words of wisdom you like to leave a, a listener with? I always find uh, people like yourself that I have the pleasure of speaking with, they always have unique insights into just the world of investing. So if there's anything you'd like to leave us with um, before we sign off, that would certainly be appreciated. Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me. I, again, I think it's a very timely discussion. When we went back, you know, two years ago, one of the things we used to talk about a lot was just, you know, what if uh, the, the world came around to, to nuclear energy? What if 
all these great things happen. And I think uranium and nuclear power remains somewhat orphaned. You know, it's great that Elon Musk and Mark Andreessen are, are saying, hey, build nuclear. But I think this is still out of the mainstream media and out of the mainstream consciousness. And I, I kind of tell myself this because I get involved in a lot of orphaned assets. Good things happen to cheap assets. And I think that's the cycle that we're in now, where good things are starting to happen in the uranium story. And so if you haven't been involved, I think taking a close look today makes a lot of sense because we're at the early innings of good things really beginning to come come to fruition for for the uranium and the nuclear powers uh, sector. And you know, one one thing we haven't talked about is just you know the whole advanced nuclear reactor story. And again, I think that's just bringing more positive attention because it shines kind of the the best possible light. You know, here's the future of not only technology and human innovation, but we're going to take this amazing potential green energy and we're going to put it in these small little modular units and we're going to make it available to everybody in the world and we're going to make it more affordable. And so I think when it's framed in that way, people will begin to really take notice. And at the end of the day, there's only one fuel for nuclear power today. It's uranium. And I just think the the fundamentals are so incredibly bullish. The good news flow is is really starting to come out, and uh, it's a great time to be involved. Well, thank you for that. You just gave me another topic to do another podcast later in the year. So <laughs> uh, get ready for another invite somewhere, maybe in the fourth quarter or first part of next year. So that would I be think great. You're right. These small units are really fascinating. I'm just kind of learning more about them myself, and. It's kind of like you think about banking in unbanked parts of the world, bringing green power, green energy to areas that are heavily polluted by coal and so forth. We're at the very, very, very beginning of this. So it's, it's exciting for all. Well, Tim, it's been a pleasure. You know, and thank you for joining us on Sprott Gold Talk Radio. For all those listeners out there who are interested in learning more about the world of uranium, both on the physical side, but as well on the underlying equity side, you know, please visit us at, at Sprott.com. That's S-P-R-O-T-T. Com. And once again, I'm your host, Ed Coyne, and you're listening to Sprott Gold Talk Radio. You have been listening to the Gold Talk podcast by Sprott Inc. For more information and insights on precious metals investing, please visit Sprott.com. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or recommendation from any Sprott entity to the listener. Neither Sprott nor any of its affiliates make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. And any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Sprott, and Sprott is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Sprott to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Sprott entity. Past performance is no indication of future results. 